Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, many of you know that we are walking through the book of Hebrews, and we're at a place right now in the book that we've come where we're at this last uh, sermon in the book of Hebrews, and just like a preacher, and this person, this author, as he communicates, he communicates just like a preacher, where he kind of is in the point of wrapping up his very last points. He's really trying to remind you of the main thing he was trying to get at, the heart of what he was trying to say. And now the author winds down to this point, and the name of this series has been Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And he's going to come to the place where he's going to say that but he's going to say that in light of their times, the times that they were living in. It wasn't cool to be a Christian. Remember, these were Jewish Christians who were being rejected by their friends, and they were going through many trials. Some were even thrown into prison. Some had their possessions stolen from them just because they knew Jesus. And he is going to get them to the place of acknowledging to them and because the word of God is not just for then, but for today. He's acknowledging to us, there will come a point in your walk with God that you will want to quit, where you will want to give up, where you won't want to endure. He, he said early in, in Hebrews chapter two, verse one, he says, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest you drift away. He said in Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's saying that there's going to come a point for us where we don't or we will be challenged to endure. You know, growing up, you always had to test out to see who was the fastest kid, Right. And in order to do that, you guys would race. And when you went on a race, you would say, hey, I'll race you to the stop sign, or I'll race you to the pole, I'll race you to the end of the block. And in so doing, when you were racing, you always tried to race in order to see something that was a visible goal. In other words, we'll race there, and at the end, we'll throw up our hands, and you'll know who the winner. We'll know who the fastest is. And that's how we defined race. And then one day you went to gym class and your gym teacher said, hey, run five laps. And you were like, oh, my goodness. This is a whole totally different skill set, right? And you midway through, you were just like, oh, my goodness. And, and the fast kid you saw, they might have been enduring. They were struggling a little bit, right? Because it was a different type of race. You see, sprinting is visible and very goal-oriented, but enduring, that marathon, that keep going, that perseverance, that kind of initiative, that has to do more with speed. That's about endurance and stamina. And what the author is trying to get at is there's a very good chance you might be a sprint-like Christian, not a marathon-like believer, one that will endure or keep going. The essence of endurance, the essence of a perseverance is that you don't want to anymore. And one of the dangers in our culture and in our country today is that the best way to understand you is what you feel. 
And if you are going to endure with God, then understand this. There's going to come a point where you're not feeling God, but you still need to feel for God. That you will need to search for God. You will need to run after God when you don't feel like running anymore. And if you have not come to that place, the author is trying to tell you there's going to come a point in your walk with God where you will want to bow out the race. Where you won't want to keep going. It is very then it is therefore then the normative Christian experience to feel like quitting. To know that there's, this wasn't as simple. When you first get saved, you're like, oh, I love this. I'm going to be in church every day. I'm going to read the whole Bible today. Amen? Yes. Yes. And then, and then you prayed and God did something. Right, God did that thing. Like you prayed and it was like, blue. And you thought, this is the Christian life. It's going to be blessings on blessings on blessings. And you just thought, this is it. I'm constantly going to, yes, God, I'm going to pray for that next thing. And bloop, and it's going to be there and all this. And you're like, that's the Christian life. And then you went a year and you didn't have the up. You didn't have the blessing, right? And you were just like, what happened? This is not a sprint anymore. I don't see God doing demonstrative things like he did when I started. And so you start to doubt. There was a study done of leaders in the Bible. From what we can tell, there's thousands of leaders in the Bible, whether it's apostles or prophets or evangelists, things of that nature. But in the Bible, there are only about 59 different leaders that you can identify their life from beginning to end, beginning to end, how they did, how they endured, how they finished. And in the Bible, of those leaders, only 30% of the leaders in the Bible finished well. That means there's a very good chance you're going to see somebody who got excited, got amped, and then all of a sudden, about 20 years later, they walked away from God or they walked away from God's people. They did not have the same kind of passion they once did. It would be easy to believe that the initial enthusiasm you have now will lead to long-term faithfulness, but that would not be true. Will you, will your passion for Jesus be the same after a new trial or in a new season of life? You pray when you're broke. Do you pray when you're rich? You prayed for the job. Do you pray while you're in the job? You prayed when you didn't know if you had a friend. What happens when you have friends? In other words, God could only be the God to get you to your real God. And in actuality, he wasn't your Lord. He was your escort. And the fact of the matter is, is that it is through a new season. Do you still do you still pursue him the same now that you got the thing you wanted? Was it always him? You see, we are challenged as we go through seasons of life. And what we want, what we want is we want to be like what Paul said when he was at the end of his life, penning his last letter, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 and 7, I have fought the good fight. He looked at life like a fight. Then he says, I have finished the race. He looked at life like a race. But then he culminates the idea and he says, I have kept the faith. 
Will you keep the faith? Will you believe through the trial? Will you believe in the next season of your life? That will be discovered over time, church. He's saying there's going to come a point where you're going to feel the test. The author here in Hebrews chapter 12 and chapter 11, what he's done is he's given us all these great heroes of the faith. Rasul preached on this several weeks ago, essentially a hall of faith. People who we could look up to in the faith. So he says in Hebrews 12 and 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, he imagines for us these champions of the faith, these heroes of the faith in heaven right now, celebrating you while you endure, celebrating while you persevere. He says they're a cloud of witnesses. And he goes on to say, in light of this crowd, In light of this celebration, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In light of this race that we're in, in light of the fact that there are people who have gone before you, don't let anything get in your way in your progress and your perseverance. So you have to understand contextually, when it says throw off everything that hinders, uh, this was speaking of the it was something like the Olympics, and they would have a race. It was a, the only long distance, the only, uh, the only competition that took a long time was the marathon, and it was done in the nude, right? So, wow, praise God, right? <laughs> what an amazing race. So they would, they would take off all their clothes. So right before the race, they would take off all their clothes and they would begin to run. So he's helping us imagine that race where right before the race, they throw everything off and they begin to run. And the first thing he says is throw off everything that hinders. In other versions, they would say throw off every weight. This is actually not talking about sin. He's saying that there might be something that's not sin, but is actually hindering your progress with Jesus. One of the great things that you will do when you start to mature in your faith is that you will stop merely asking, is it sin? And you'll start asking, is it helping my walk with Jesus? You see, there are very good things. There are very simple things that you could find yourself doing. It could be a job. It could be a hobby. It could be a friend. The question isn't, are they sinful? The question is, are they helping me grow? Do they bring glory to God? Part of maturity is not looking through the lens of sinfulness, but looking through the lens of God's glory and asking yourself, is God using this? Or is this slowing me down? There are friends, there are people that slow you down in that progress. There are attitudes that are slowing your walk down. And he says, throw it off. Uh, The other image, the word there in the Greek is the same word used in Colossians for put on and put off. Put on the new man, put off the old man, throw it off. In other words, what he's trying to say is that you need to have time with Jesus, think about people, places, and situations that aren't sinful but may be hindering your progress, and throw them off. 
Now, I, we, we talked about ghosting, praise God. We talked about this the other week, like ghosting. Ghosting is like this weird thing that happens. Like, you don't want to be in a relationship anymore, and you just ghost. Like, you just disappear. You say goodbye. And I'm like, y'all, don't ghost. But there might be somebody you need to ghost. <laughs> don't even give them a reason why. Don't even say goodbye. <laughs> just ghost. Just because you're going to talk and they're going to be like, but why? And you're like, you can't even deal with the but why. Just, just ghost, amen. That's what you need to do because you need to separate yourself from anything that might be separating you from him. It may not be sinful, but it may be impeding your progress. But then the author, he gets detailed and he says, oh, and, and the sin that so easily entangles you. And it's very interesting the way that the author positions this because he first says, yes, there are things that can hinder you, but then he says, there are sin that easily entangle you. So he doesn't just say sin. He says there are certain sins that you just easily fall into, that you find yourself getting caught up in consistently. And he says, for those things, throw those off. Now, church, if the devil is real, right, if the devil is the devil, right, and if the Bible is true about what it says about the devil, that he has, in Ephesians 6, it says he has a scheme. The Greek word is methodia. He has a plan. If he has a plan of attack, there are certain things that he plans that he's like, this easy. Yeah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put him in this situation, and I'm going to watch. And he get that, like, I'm, I'm just imagining. The Satan, he gets there with the demons, like, watch this, watch this, watch this. I told you, I told you, it's easy. It's easy. They're going to do it. I know they're going to do it. It's going to be simple, easy, and they're going to walk right into it because you do it all the time. In other words, you've grown comfortable with it, and you find yourself getting wrapped up in it again and again and again. But there are certain things that you know in your life, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get caught up in that. So ask yourself, what are sins that you're finding yourself getting easily entangled into? Let me use some imagery to help. Because I can tell the saints are wondering. <laughs> if you, let's just say you, you struggle with alcoholism, sin, uh, drinking is not a sin, amen? But let's say you struggle with getting drunk. You get drunk. You know, you, you grew up and you just got drunk all the time. You're like, I get drunk all the time. I drink and then I drink and I drink and I drink and I get drunk. Let's just say that happens. Then your friends are like, and then you're like, you know what, God, no more. No more getting drunk for me. No more getting drunk for me. I get drunk way too much. I need to chill. And then your friend's like, yo, tonight we're going to the bar. And you're like, I'm gonna just go to the bar. Because you know what I'm saying? I like bar. Because my friends are at a bar, and I'm at a bar. And now you're at a bar. You're like, you're doing bar things. You're like, yo, yo, I'll get a seltzer. Praise God. Oh, here I am. I'm just chilling. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All my friends are here. I'm here. I'm not here because they're here to drink, you know, even though I used to drink. But I'm here just to, you know what I'm saying, get some seltzer. Okay, all right, I'm chilling. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, ooh, I'm struggling. Well, you're struggling because you already knew you struggled with alcohol. Amen? If you struggle with alcohol, why would you go to the bar? You knew, right? And it was easy. It was easy. About After about 30 minutes, you were just like, you know what? Let me just get a little that, that, and put a little rock on that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just one, right? And you can't handle just one. Your friends can handle just one. You can't. 
Let me just deepen, praise God. Um, I said this in the last service and people just, uh. all right, look, if you, if you struggle, if you struggle with porn, right, if you struggle with porn, like you just, it's a thing that happened in your life, you're praying, God, I don't want to do this again, right? And then you find yourself, though, you try to be like everybody else, you probably like can't really watch rated R movies. This sounds so legalistic. I know this sounds like the church you grew up in, praise God. But I mean, you really can't. <laughs> Just walk with me. You really can't. In other words, you have a stronghold over here, right? You got this stronghold where you watch naked people, right? Why do you think you can casually watch naked people? Like, why do you think, oh, I can just watch naked people and not think this is going to wrap you up easier? In other words, and I was telling people, I'm like, yeah, just now, I haven't seen this show. I haven't seen this show, so I know this is going to hurt your heart. But, um, like, I heard, I heard Game of Thrones has like a lot. No, I know, I know. That, that, I hurt your idol. Amen. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And now look, look. And this is the best part. 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 This is, this is the best part. I've never seen the show because I'm holy, right? No, but I'm just saying. And this is, but I'm trying to give you a real life example. If you struggle in private, with constantly looking at naked people. How do you think you can casually look at naked people? Like, you can't do certain casual things when you have deep strongholds. That thing is rapid. So you're, you're there with your friends like, ha, 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 yeah, oh my goodness. And then you're going privately struggling. And you're doing it to follow the crowd. And, and I'm telling you, you've got to cut off certain things you can't be like everybody else and live out holiness. You just, I, you know what? You know, I'm really not into Game of Thrones. Why? I just, you know, it's just not, it's not really where I'm at. It's like, but why? It's like, I'm trying to get my walk right. And you're like, you don't want to bring the crowd down, right? You don't want to be not cool. Now, I'm just using that as an example. I don't think, I've never seen it. I don't think it's innately uh, sinful. But here's what I want to tell you. Legalism is bad, but a personal legalism can be a good thing. Saying there's certain things I just don't do and I can't do because it, I get wrapped up in that easily. And there are people, places, patterns, and situations you get wrapped up into easily. And here's the thing about the devil. His goal is not to make that thing a little thing. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy he wants that little thing to not just, because it easily entangles you, he wants it to wrap your life up, to hinder your progress, and it become the very thing that brings about shame in your life, that you would slow your progress down. Tonight, ask Jesus to identify for you what are the patterns places and people that I keep running into that are causing me to stumble because I'm simply not strong enough. It is through the presumption of strength that you keep falling. That you can do anything. You cannot. You have to have an honest conversation with Jesus and remove certain things. Now remember, remember, the goal is not just to be with the crowd. The goal is endurance to the end, amen? That's the goal. I want to endure to the end. What he goes on to say is 
running with perseverance. Hebrews 12, 1. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Hebrews 12, 1. The perseverance in the race. I love this idea of perseverance. The word in Greek there literally means to stay up under. It means to keep going even though you are under a trial or under weight, under this pain that you are feeling. And it says perseverance, the race marked out. The word race, we in the Greek, we get this idea. It's the word we get for agony. And so he's bringing out this idea that you keep moving while you're hurting. You keep moving while you're feeling agony and pain. It is through perseverance. It is through struggling with sin, struggling in this life, feeling the pain of holiness, that you continue in your progress and walk with God. And he says this race has been marked out. John Stephen Akwari He was a Tanzanian runner, marathon runner in 1968. In 1968, John Stephen Akwari, while he was running this 26-mile marathon, the same amount of miles in the New York City Marathon being run today. How I preached on running the day of the marathon, only Jesus knows. I did not plan that out, right? But a 26-mile race, he's running. So there he is in Mexico City. He went from Tanzania to Mexico City just to run this race. He gets there. And while the other runners were jostling for position, he falls to the ground, separates his shoulder, has a big gash in his leg. There he is writhing in pain. The runners keep going. He gets up. And he begins to limp. It's 26 miles. He's only at the 13th mile. He gets up. And he just limps. And he limps. And he limps. At this time, the ceremony has started because it took him 90 minutes to limp. He limps. He runs. He limps. He stops. The ceremony goes... Thousands of people start coming out of the stadium, leaving. Cameras catch up to him, and they see him trying to run and limp. Finally, he comes into the stadium there in Mexico City in 1968, and the people start clapping. And there's this small roar of people, and they are cheering on John Stephen Aquari as he limps and runs and limps and runs and limps and runs. The crowd begins to celebrate even more. The winners are already gone, but the people around are still celebrating. He finally crosses the line. John Stephen Akwari would become more famous than the gold medalist. And they asked John Stephen Akwari. The reporter comes up to him and says, John, it took such courage What made you keep going? While you were at the 13th mile, why didn't you quit? There were tons of people that quit. There were over 90 runners. Only 57 made it through. Why didn't you quit? You were the last runner. Why didn't you quit? And he said, 
my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And Christ didn't come from Tanzania to Mexico. He came from a throne in heaven to a manger in Nazareth. And there comes a point in your walk with God where you have to say, Christ did, not send, Christ did not come from heaven to earth so that I would quit, but that I would keep going. That I, listen, in you is the spirit of a finisher. In your flesh, you want to quit, but in you is the spirit of a finisher. Christ finished. He endured, he rose again from the dead, he is seated at the throne because he is a finisher. In you, you might want to quit, but in you, in you, in you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In you, in you is a finisher. Outside of you, everyone might be quitting, your friends might quit, your mother might quit, but in you is a finisher and you can endure. And so it is perseverance that he imagines for us. And then he says in Hebrews 12, two through three, I wonder if we could read this together. We're gonna to start at the word fixing and end at the word heart. Hebrews 12, two through three, could we read that together on three? One, two, three. Fixing. Look what he says there. Consider him. And then he says, if you consider here him, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Think about him. And then he started off saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Focus on him. Don't look so much to the left and to the right. Focus on him and you will not grow weary and lose heart. It is so important, church. When we come into this space to worship, this should be the culmination of worship throughout the week. That you should be, you should in your mind, in your heart, be imagining the life of Jesus, not just on the cross. Yes, Jesus died on the cross and he endured, but he did it for the joy set before him. You know what the joy was? The joy was that he'd be seated on the throne, but the joy would be that his, he'd see lives changing. He died on the cross so that we could be in here worshiping. He knew the full story. You've got to think about Jesus, yes. But you think about the full story of Jesus on the throne, celebrating, worshiping. God right now is calling you to imagine him, see him in worship. One of the things, if you just read your Bible, if you just throw up some prayers, it will not allow you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Let Jesus be what is flaming your heart and be at the center of your passion every day. This is what he's getting at. And it will be for us a great trap if we are constantly comparing ourselves to people to the left and to the right. If the news feed is all that you see every day, you will constantly, our hearts are these comparison traps. We're constantly looking at everybody. Look what they did. Look what they did. And you look at Jesus and you open up your Bible and you read about these people who suffered great things and they endured for the sake of Christ. You've got to get your mind and heart fixed on the things of God or the things of men and the, the worldly things that will just kill you. 
and it will destroy your heart. So he says, look to Jesus so that you don't lose heart. And look at what Jesus did. He says he scorned its shame. He scorned the shame. The word scorn there, it means to think very little of. Notice that Jesus is on the greatest form of torture. He's on the very thing, the cross, that was seen as the bottom. If you were on the cross, you were seen as the worst type of criminal. And so while Jesus was being devalued and seen as nothing, he was on the cross and said, this is nothing. I scorn the shame. Not that he didn't have pain, but he kept his pain in perspective with eternity. You see, he scorned the shame because he had the joy set before him. He had the glory of God, the worship of God, the fullness and completion of the story set before him. So he was able to scorn the shame and see it as a very little thing in light of eternity. Paul, the apostle, would put it this way in Romans 8, 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I look at my pain in light of eternity and I keep it in perspective. This is why isolation will kill some of you. This is why fellowship can't just be a little thing. It's got to be a mandatory thing in your walk because Satan will want that trial to become bigger than God. He will magnify it over your life. And I'm telling you this, in this church, it will make singleness this thing that's like a stereo system in your life. I'm single, I'm single, I'm single. Jesus is Lord, amen? Jesus is Lord. And Jesus, watch this, is better than singleness. And you've got him, right? But, but the culture will tell you you're not enough. And if you fix your eyes on culture and the next season, you will miss God in this season. And so what Jesus, so this is what he's saying. He's saying, keep your mind fixed on Jesus. Keep that before you. And I love the author. The author is one of those uh, friends that give you hard truth. Amen? You got, you got one of those? Huh? They're, they're good. They're helpful. All right? He says in Hebrews 12, 4, he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. So encouraging, amen? He's like, are you bleeding? Oh, okay then, all right. All right, you're not bleeding, amen, right? No, this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He's talking about martyrdom. There were people who were dying, like they were dead, like they had resisted and they died. And he's like, are you dead? Okay then, then, then you can endure, yeah, he's like, listen, you can keep going and you always need a friend or you need fellowship to keep your pain in perspective. Because this is the problem with Sundays. Everybody's cute. Y'all cute. You know what I'm saying? Hair popping, right? <laughs> Clothes, right? Everybody's cute. And you think because people are cute that they're not going through. I'm telling you. Then you go on their Instagram and, you, and they cute on, they, they really cute on their Instagram. <laughs> are you serious? They are fine on their Instagram. So you look at their IG and you look at them and you're just like, uh. but see, I counsel these folks. They struggling. You're like, oh, them. No, I mean the person next to you <laughs> is a struggling Christian. 
And you and your mind, start, I mean, Satan is a liar. He is a liar. He is, he is a liar. No, no, I don't mean like he's good at lying. I mean he's the father of it. There, no one ever told a lie like he told a lie. He could, you know how you tell a good lie? You fill it with a lot of truth. Y'all did that? I know you don't know how to do that. Praise God. <laughs> but you know how you tell a good lie. And you get your mind going. And we believe the lie that our pain is greater than anyone else's pain. There are people who have survived cancer in this room. There are people who have suffered great loss and come into this place and they lift their hands and worship. And you just don't know the story. But this place is filled. This is a fellowship of suffering. And so in light of that, as we look to this, we've got to consider how we think about pain. Because how you think about pain, there comes a point in a marathon where it's not just about muscles and athleticism. It is about your mind. It is about what you're thinking about, what you are meditating on. And so I love that the author here, he moves into this next space and he says, endure hardship as what? Discipline. He says, now think of hardship in this different space, a category you would not normally think of it. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? So he's actually throwing this out there. What children are disciplined by their father? You're like, I know a few that don't. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, he's saying the presumption is that children are disciplined by their father in particular. If you are not, verse 8, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Think about what he's saying there. He, he is getting at this idea that you may believe that when God allows pain, it means I'm an illegitimate son. He's saying if you aren't feeling any pain and it's coming from God, that means you are illegitimate. It is through pain because God uses pain as a tool in your progress to know God more and to be one of his children. Um, you know, I, I don't know because I, you know, I, I don't keep up with everything, but I've heard like these, uh, like on Twitter and stuff, like people are flying around these ideas, mostly single people, talking about like how um, like physical discipline is bad, like spanking is bad, and it is bad, praise God. But um, we used it, and uh, we used it on our kids, and it worked, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what we did, what we did, what we did is we used this thing. We had a wooden spoon. It was called the no-no stick. Why was it called the no-no stick? Because we said no one time. So if we have to say no-no, you know what I'm talking about? Because I said no. So now I said no-no. Oh, you don't know? Oh, now you're going to no-no, huh? Huh? And so there came up, so what happened? My wife would pull out that stick. Split up. Did that. Because my daughter was so cute first year. Second year, something changed. 
right? Another situation. No, 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 no. Another situation. And then my wife just had to pull out the drawer. Hey, she'd be like, not the no, no, stick. When I say no, she's like, Now, on the train, on the train, you've seen unruly kids, haven't you? Kids that need a no-no stick. You've noticed them. Now, at most, now some of you might have done some things that were illegal, praise God, but most of you didn't touch them. Most of you. I don't know where God has you tonight. But, <laughs> but you saw a kid, and you're like, they wilding out. And you, at most, you're like, stop, stop, stop. Then you got off the train, you're like, stop. <laughs> and they were a prayer request at best, right? Because you left, right? You're like, I'm just, Father, I lift my hands to this child. You put your hand on the train, Father, just... <laughs> and you were out. You were out. Because those are not your kids. You watched them fail, but you did not change them from failing. You did not correct them. You prayed from a distance, but you did not correct them up front. What tells you they're your kids is when you take responsibility of their foolishness. And you say, you are on my watch. And it is my job to teach you consequence. You reap what you sow. And kids don't know that. Kids, act, kids literally just like, I can do whatever I want and there'll never be a problem. And the whole point of discipline is to tell you, this is going to lead to a problem. And since you don't believe my imagery I'm giving you, I have to physically prove that to you. Or take a, give them a time out. Whatever you do, praise God. So he is now giving us a whole different way of thinking about discipline and pain. And he is saying endure hardship as what? Discipline. And this is the correlation to perseverance. It hurts. How do you process pain? Processing pain will be one of the most important things you learn in your walk. That's why he's ending with this. How do you process pain? If you believe that pain overall, theologically, is a bad thing. So, you know, pain is bad. Oh, man, this, I didn't get what I wanted. Or I'm going through a situation or even sickness and all these different things that you might feel in life. Then you will look at that as punishment. And being that it is a punishment, you will think God is my judge. And since God is a, a judge just looking at me, looking at the things I do, then God is angry with me. And God must hate me. You may never have said these words to come out your mouth, but your heart said this. Since I'm going through this, God must not love me. You may have never said the words but your heart has felt it. 
And if it hasn't felt it, you will feel it. There will be something so heavy, so painful, so unbearable, so confusing that you will be tempted to believe, God, you must have a problem with me. Because there was a point when things were working and you thought God brought good things and the good God loves me. Now you're bringing bad things, so you must hate me. Some of you had parents that disciplined that way. Some of your problem in seeing and seeing God for who he is is because of the fathers or mothers you had and how they disciplined. Some of you had parents that came home and discipline came at the expense of peace altogether. Discipline came after they hit the bottle. Discipline came after they came home from work and they were tired. There was never a conversation, never any affection, never a relationship. Just do what I say and shut your mouth. There was no relationship. It was just discipline. And so there might be legitimate reasons why discipline, when you feel the pain of life, it becomes confusing to your heart. But what if we place this in a different category? That discipline from God is a good thing. And that what's actually happening is correction. That God is aligning me to who I'm supposed to be and where I'm supposed to go. And he is working out of me attitudes. And even though this might not be sin, he's adding faith into my life. God is correcting my life. He is shaping my life through this pain. And what if God is my father, not my judge? And what if God is angry with sin and he's working that out of me? then I can say God loves me. Because God is not the angry father tired from the day. God is the good father who plans my discipline, who corrects with a loving hand. Maybe you had a parent that they just went off and you're just like, I don't even know what happened, right? They just wild out. And yet this God, he has never had you shed a tear that was not planned in his providence. God has a plan. Pain, church, pain is in the plan. It is a part of the plan. And you may feel like God comes into your life after the pain, almost like a car accident that happens. And you go into the ER doctor and he's trying to repair your body and repair your life and sew you back together. And they're sitting there like, oh my goodness, what just happened? Uh, let's, try to, let's try to figure this out. Stat, come here. And, let's, and, 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 and you may think that God is just kind of like at the emergency room figuring it out. The emergency room doctor says, man, I guess we're going to have to make this turn out for good. But what if God wasn't 
an emergency room God that comes after an accident? What if he is a surgical God that plans with tools, that is cutting out the cancer, that has planned everything, and he knows you, and he takes his time, and he knows what you need? God uses all pain for his purposes. And church, I want you to hear from my heart today. I love seeing this many people here. It's always encouraging. I love that we, our church, I love seeing people. But what causes us to check on one another? What causes us to spur each other on? What causes us to pray for one another? Never presume the person next to you will be here next year. Never presume the passion you have will be the same right now. There might be a trial that comes where that person that you think is, oh my gosh, they would never leave. They, they might leave. Oh, that person will keep going. There's no guarantee. But we hold one another up. And I pray that when you are in the very moment of wanting to quit, you look to Jesus and you endure. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives, God. We thank you for the plan over our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you tonight, tonight, Jesus, that you would remind us of your plan. Remind us of what you do with pain. Teach us, Jesus. Teach us. For this is a fellowship of the suffering. And we're all needing to look to Jesus. I pray, God, that we would endure in the heaviest of moments, in the weightiest of moments, in the moment of complete doubt. We keep going because Jesus kept going for the joy set before him. Be with us, God. Show us your glory. In Christ's name, amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. We're going to have communion, and in this time, I pray that you would do business with Jesus. Tonight, what are areas in your life, whether it might be sin or not sin, that you need to throw off? In light of eternity, in light of the race, what are things you need to throw off tonight? And for others of you, you walked in here and you may be at the place where you are just tired and fatigued. I pray that you would just fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of you in here tonight, your life is filled with comparison. You are constantly looking at the progress of another and you are not running your race. And I want to encourage you tonight. Stop looking to someone else's race. Run your race. Put off what you need to put off. Walk the walk you need to walk. Don't play with this life. Don't play with your walk. Run. Run to win. 
tonight, I pray that you would do whatever you need to do to live a life of holiness. I pray that you would do whatever you need to do to reimagine Jesus at the very center of your trials, orchestrating, controlling, sovereignly and providentially overseeing everything in your life, even your pain. See Jesus in control. If we could have the communion come. And as you take communion, I pray you do business with Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He looked at them and said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup. He pours wine in this cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink it. In Corinthians, it says, every time we eat the bread and every time we drink from the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death and we are saying, Christ died for me. I believe. I believe. And I pray that tonight, you, as you come, believe again. Believe again. Trust again. Trust more. You're going to come down these aisles and out the outer aisles. Down these aisles, out the outer aisles. Come in your own time. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.